Hey everyone, Stephen here with a quick introduction. The episode you're about to listen to is an after show. Uh, It's an idea that we're going to implement with all of our episodes going forward. And like the bonus shows that we're offering up every once in a while, it'll eventually be behind a paywall. But for now, it's free and uh, you can check it out whenever you want. And basically what it is, we keep the mics open after we record our regular episodes and go a little deeper on some of the stuff we discussed. And we get into some more non-Oscar film talk as well. This one in particular is about horror. And if you listen to this week's episode, you'll know that we had quite a bit to say about it. And uh, we definitely dive deeper on this uh, after show. It's a lot of fun to do and uh, just a little more loose. So give it a listen and I hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you next week with our latest episode where we talk about the Oscars of 1983. Enjoy. I had to cut some things. Were there were there any any category or any nominees that you felt strongly about that you a darling you had to kill? Well, I do think that uh, you know one of the one of the movies that we didn't bring up. I think because of my history with horror movies, horror comedy is probably more of my wheelhouse than anything else. So I had quite a few of those that I ended up putting aside. Monster Squad, which I've already mentioned twice, being the main one. It, that's always been one of my favorites and I watch it almost every year at Halloween. It's just one of those, uh, you know, Goonies plus monsters and uh, written by Shane Black who wrote Lethal Weapon, who, who just has a writing style that I really like. Uh, I was Ted surprised Decker, to see that, that he wrote yeah. that. And Ted Decker who also worked on House. Right. So uh, it's got a lot of things that, that I really like in it. So I enjoy that a lot. And I also thought Happy Death Day is another one that, I think really works in terms of blending horror and comedy and kind of like Scream hitting on a thing that we've seen before, but doing it in a pretty interesting way, finding a yeah. new twist on something like slasher movies mixed with Groundhog Day, which was, was kind of fun. I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I would when I first saw it. So so that one was in, in my back pocket as well. Yeah, um, I really like that one. I hadn't seen it until... A couple of years ago, I, it it didn't appeal to me, um, but I was pleasantly surprised. I watched that and its sequel, and and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed both of them. I actually kind of found myself wishing there was another one, which I never do. Yeah, I, uh, I, I can see those those going on. Uh, I have to say, just just to because we've already mentioned it, just to explain my sheer terror of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, why I will not watch it anymore. Uh, I actually had not seen it until I was in college, which is something because I was not watching horror movies a lot when I was a kid. And uh, I decided to take a class in the horror movie. Saw a bunch of interesting stuff uh, from Peeping Tom uh, to Dario Argento movies, which I'd never seen yeah. And eventually we get up to um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I watched it in, in, in class with a bunch of people. And that night I was walking back to my dorm and like I was actually turning around in the parking lot like, like that is still how how much it messed with my head. Like it was just so unsettling in so many ways. Uh, just because it was so low budget, I just felt like it was almost too realistic. And as I said to you, I, I like my my horror is a little bit unrealistic, so I can disassociate from it a little bit. Yeah, and that one was just too close for comfort for me, and and, and it did not sit well. 
So I guess that makes it a great horror movie because it truly unsettled me in a way that no other movie that I've watched has to this point. It's tough. Uh, it's tough to get through. Um, I had a similar experience with The Strangers. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. I think it says it's inspired by a true story at the beginning, but it's basically the story of Liv Tyler and I think Scott Speedman. They're in a relatively rural home. I remember they put on a Wilco record uh, at the beginning, which is pretty great. Um, but they're just invaded by these three people in masks completely at random who just keep them hostage, torture them, and eventually kill them. Um, but the randomness of it, I think, it really got to me. And I remember seeing this in a movie theater at like 10 in the morning. So it was broad daylight, no big deal. But it just sat with me for days. All of the way to start your day. Yeah. Well, there's nobody there. That's how I like my movies. Um, but yeah, it was really unsettling. I, I, uh, I don't know that there's been another movie. If I rewatch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it might have a similar effect. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, that actually makes me realize there's two genres I'm not really a fan of. Uh, one is home invasion, which I'm not sure what people get out of that. Yeah. Um, and two, movies with creepy dolls. Chucky notwithstanding, doesn't really count. Like Chucky's not really scary, like creepy. He's you know scary. There's a difference. I mean, like yeah. those creepy porcelain doll kind of things. Mm -hmm. so uh, not 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 bothering with either of those kind of things those things i do not want to spend time with that's, that's not good for me so right no yeah creepy i dogs. get it <laughs> um i did want to shout out one horror comedy that i didn't get to put in that i i really really love and it's from 1981 and it's called student bodies and it's just a total parody of basically all horror that came before it um it really leans into Black Christmas and it leans into Halloween and it's it's just it takes place in this high school like a lot of the 80s horror films and and uh it's just really fun and it's it's almost like Zucker Brothers level funny um so it's it's 90% comedy 10% horror but uh really really fun so i highly recommend checking that out if you haven't seen it because it's it's a fun one that not a lot of people know about i don't think no you mentioned it to me and i i didn't remember it much either uh what about idle hands was another one that falls into that high school kind of horror comedy kind of thing which was another movie that was slightly better than i expected it to be uh i believe they made some sequels i never watched them but the original is, is kind of good where you know just has a, a zombie hand and uh you can't control it which is pretty funny I have a thing for severed hand films, um, of which there are many. Uh, and you almost can't do that without making it at least a bit comical. <laughs> because if you're going to give this hand life, uh, is, is Idle Hands a severed hand? I can't remember. Well, it's attached to him. It's, okay. it's, his hand. it's like a zombie hand. So that's fair. It's not a severed hand, but someone, I think it's someone else's severed hand. I, I wish I could remember exactly how it went down. But he ends up with a zombie hand, basically. Right. Speaking of, uh, uh, we're gonna we're going off on a tangent here, but speaking of severed hands, I just watched Talk to Me, which is a new uh, film from these two brothers who have a YouTube channel called Raka Raka, and it's their first feature film, and it it's really interesting because it's kind of set around uh, social media in a way, and these kids 
have this severed hand that comes from some sort of like clairvoyant and they take it to parties and they can interact with it. And instead of like kids going to parties and drinking and getting high, they basically get possessed by this hand and everybody films it on social media. And uh, it's really interesting. It, it was a fun movie to watch and brand new. So uh, that's another one I recommend if anybody hasn't seen it. So, and when we're talking about uh, Friday the 13th being in 3D. So mm-hmm. when I realized it was in 3D, it, it immediately made me think of uh, like the first horror movie I remember being in 3D, which is House of Wax, right? Vincent Price, yeah, uh, which is a total classic, and I highly recommend to anybody. Uh, and the 3D stuff is so obvious, <laughs> like a guy like throwing a yo-yo, like this kind of stuff. Like it's these really uh, these scenes that don't fit at all in what's going on, but they just threw them in there for some 3D effect. But uh, that's one of my favorite Vincent Price movies. Yeah, that was. So the the thing with 3D, that, I think that was 1953, is that they Hollywood was kind of losing ticket sales to television, and they had to come up with a lot of different ways. Much like now, actually, the Denny Villeneuve, just the director of Dune, came out and said how a lot of things these days need to be IMAX for people to get to go see them in a theater because they need a gimmick especially now because you can watch everything at home. And uh, part of what Cinescope was, I believe, you know, expanding what, what you could see in the theater, making the, the screen bigger and, and more immersive. Uh, so so that, that does make sense. I mean, if you go in from there, then you end up with IMAX. That's what I was going to say is in 1953 with 3D, Cinemascope was one of the other tools that they used to entice people to come back to the theater and step away from their televisions. So uh yeah, I mean that it's interesting. That's how that's how the, it goes in in Hollywood, I guess. You know, this new technology always comes around, and they kind of have to struggle to catch up. Um, hopefully, they. So will. that's interesting that you that you mentioned that because so here's a question for you. I mean, sat and I watched a bunch of horror movies alone, and um, you know, I know that that many people say that the thing about watching horror movies and comedies is that combination again, but yeah, people tend to want to watch those in a theater with people. Uh, that it enhances the experience. And right. I'm, I'm curious what you think. You say you like to watch movies alone. And uh, I have not seen a lot of horror movies in a movie theater because, as I said, I was not going to see horror movies in general. Uh, so I honestly don't think I've ever seen a horror movie in a theater, uh, at least a true horror movie. Most of them I've watched at home, and I watch all of these basically by myself at home. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't have a comparison for it, but I wonder if it's more effective when you're by yourself or when you're with a bunch of people. I'll say that in theory, it's better when you're with a group of people. Um, I remember specifically two of our nominees, Blair Witch Project uh, in particular, because I, I lived in a small town in like South Central Pennsylvania and it wasn't showing in our town. So I had to drive to Baltimore to see it in the Charles Theater and uh, experiencing that with a bunch of people was amazing. Um, because nobody knew what the hell was happening at that point. And uh, I had a similar experience with paranormal activity. And I think it's because maybe there's similar kinds of films and and you didn't really know what you were going to get. So people were more inclined to just, uh, frankly, pay attention. And that's a problem I have with seeing things with other people now is (laughs) nobody pays attention anymore. Everyone's on their phone there's a ton of distraction. And for me, 
that really takes away from the theater going experience and and in particular horror because that's something where i feel like you're all on this ride together and it's it's scary you know and you need support so when somebody's just over there texting it, it for me it just throws it all off and that's super frustrating um but the inverse of that is I went to see Stop Making Sense the other day on a big screen uh, with a group of people. And that was absolutely amazing. Everyone was, with the exception of one guy, just completely focused on it, tapping their feet, bopping their heads. And that was an incredible experience uh, and kind of gave me hope about going to the movies again. Hmm. That's yeah. an interesting, but yeah, it's an interesting point because I watched Paranormal Activity alone. Uh, in my house by myself at like midnight. So uh, and that was an interesting experience because I had never seen it before. I was not sure what to expect. And uh, I got, that got pretty hairy towards the end. So that was interesting to see it by myself. So, uh, yeah, I think that's another, that's another way to experience that. I mean, if you're watching something creepy about houses and you're in a house watching it by yourself, whether it's on a big screen or, if there are people around, I mean, that almost makes it, you know, it's more intimate and, and personal. Whereas if you're in a theater and you're with a group of people, you know, you're kind of all in it together, but boy, I, yeah, I, I might do that. I might revisit paranormal activity by myself uh, at home. Cause <laughs> that, that's interesting. That you mentioned before too, with, with the idea of horror movies becoming like a spectator sport, because that is true. Cause I have one memory of actually like sneaking into a Friday the 13th. I think by this point they were up to like eight or nine. Actually, I think it was 10, which was Jason Takes Manhattan, I believe. That's what we were up to. I think I snuck in to watch some of that. And uh, yeah, I felt like I could only imagine what the Roman Coliseum was like. Like people were just like screaming for murders. Like they were like just rooting for it. Like that was yeah. basically what they were there for. And that, and that was about watching part three kind of put me into that mindset where it's like, yeah, I think this is where they would start rooting for people to be murdered. But by 10, it's like, that's all you're there for. And uh, there's like people just yelling at the screen for people to die. And uh, my favorite part in that one, I'll never forget this. This was the most amusing death where he's with this guy and, and, and the guy eventually just puts his hands up like for a boxing match. Yeah. And Jason punches his head off and it <laughs> rolls into a dumpster, like falls off a hit, like the like top of a building into a dumpster. And I just thought, yeah, that, that's pretty good. Like, that, that was a good one. So, yeah, that, that's the one Jason murder that, that I remember really well. Well, I think that's the thing, too, is that they have to up the stakes on these murders. And the more you up these stakes, like, how do you, with the exception of something like Seven, where it's methodical and, and thought out and, and uh, very sadistic, how do you up the murder factor without getting ridiculous? You know, you're going to stab someone or whatever, but, uh, and, and particular in particular 3d, uh, I remember, and, and I think Steve minor maybe ties this into house because there's the harpoon gun. I remember, uh, Friday the 13th part three, a big, a big shot. And it was this harpoon gun going toward the camera. So, you know, it, I think that comes with the territory. The more sequels you make, the more the audience expects. And if you're giving them something that's ridiculous, they're going to respond with ridiculousness. That's, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think after you've exhausted almost every way to murder someone, that's uh, 
you can only fall into camp. That's the only place you, you can get to. Yeah, and I think that's probably why Saul became so popular because it was a step back from that, and it it kind of got a little brutal. And but it was, it wasn't. It was it was inventive without being comical. Um, it might be there now. I saw that in the new one, there are like tubes that suck people's eyeballs out or something. So uh, when you get to the the tenth version, I think you're grasping at straws, but. Early on, if you have a unique idea and you can kill someone without being over the top. Yeah, I mean, when the film's tone changes, I guess the audience's tone changes. Yeah. So as I was thinking about, you know, watching all the slasher movies and things, and I, I realized that part of the reason I liked Scream and said watching Sydney actually be able to kill the killer. I think that, that part of the problem for me is, it's true, as the movies go on, I don't understand what makes the slashers unkillable. Like that, that ends up becoming almost absurd because even yeah. you know Michael Myers is a child, and Jason. You know, we both see them as children. We know they're not supernatural. We know they're not, uh, you know, demons or anything. But and they never really ever explain why they can't die. And and I don't. And it just seems silly. Where Scream. That's why Scream is so interesting because it it doesn't mess with your head in that way. It's like it's just a different person putting on a mask each time, which makes sense, right? Copycat killers. Yeah. Like, what? Why is Jason impossible to kill? Like, there's no, I don't think they ever fully explain this, and I'm just like, what? Like, why? Well, I I think that's called franchising. <laughs> if you want another <laughs> film, I don't think it necessarily needs to be explained. You just know that he's coming back. And I remember um, one of them. He gets like a propeller, like through the back of his head. And then the movie ends, he opens his eyes, and I'm like, did you put a propeller through his brain? Like, I don't I have no idea how he survived that. Yeah, I think about that all the time when I watch films like that. And uh, I remember, I think it was the one with Corey Feldman. It was six or seven, I believe, where he gets struck by lightning. And then that just makes him like supercharged. So he's even more, you know, uh, unkillable. And it's, yeah, I mean, like the kills themselves, the killers have to get more ridiculous and and in order to keep going i guess that actually is uh something that they used in 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 the flash uh the new flash movie which i thought was kind of absurd because uh spoiler alert flash loses his powers and uh he tries to recreate the the sequence in which he gets his powers because it happens to lightning strike among all these chemicals and that's how he becomes the flash it's like a mixture of so to solve this problem he it basically becomes like Frankenstein. They put him in a thing, they move him up to the top of the building, and they shoot him with lightning. Wow. Just, he's not superhuman right now. How on earth is he not dead? And yet not only does he survive, but he gets his powers back. And I didn't even see any chemicals. So I'm just thinking, you just electrocuted the hell out of this guy. And that's what gave him back his flash powers. Like, I don't even understand what is happening right now. Like that. Yeah, that's yeah, well, superheroes, I mean, I, I, that's essentially what these killers are, right? Like, right. they become superheroes, so it makes if sense. If we found that out that Jason was a mutant, then maybe I would understand, but they never explained it. They, yeah. they, never, they never put that out there. So Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it's all capitalism. Like, don't question it, just buy the ticket for the next one. Okay, there you have it. Uh, our first of many after shows. 
I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to follow, rate, and review us wherever you get podcasts. Um, you can also visit us at reoscar.substack.com and subscribe there where we have a bunch of supplemental materials like bonus writings, weekend recommendations, and a lot of other stuff. And of course, find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, all of those places. Just search for Reoscar. So uh, we'll see you next week with our 1983 Oscars episode. So long. <laughs>